Good afternoon and welcome to Indy's Trusted Servant, heard every Wednesday afternoon on WITT 91.9. I'm Russ Dodge and I am fitting in for Danny O'Malia as the guest host today and we've got a very, very amazing show ahead for you and I know you're going to look forward to hearing what we're doing. Uh, Danny will be back on next week's show with his amazing guests and that includes today's guest because this is a guest that uh, Danny and I have both known for a while, Danny a, a little bit more, but uh, John L. Sesser who is the executive director of the Indiana Non-Public Education Association. So welcome, John, and we're very, very glad to have you here. Uh, you know, most recently, both Danny and I had the opportunity to hear you speak at the Catholic Business Exchange, so we both... Uh, got a little bit of an update on what's going on with the association and we'll get to the history and all the background there but first uh, a little bit about you uh, we're, you know what uh, is the background uh, where you grew up and went to school and how you got from point A to point P sure Russ I appreciate you and Danny inviting me to be a part of the show today um, I had appreciated the opportunity of meeting you at the Catholic Business Exchange and um, looking forward to talking a little bit about IMPEA and what we do here in the state of Indiana. First of all, myself, um, I, I'm a West Virginian. I'm a mountaineer um, in terms of where I came from. Matter of fact, I'm a mountaineer in terms of college, too. No offense to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, but um, I, I grew up in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. Went to school in Morgantown. At that, w- that little sliver that when you're driving from Indiana out to the East Coast, you cut across it by Wheeling, right? That's exactly right. And I spent 16 years in Wheeling, West Virginia, where okay. I was superintendent of Catholic schools there. And you probably drove 10 minutes past my house if you went across Interstate 70 heading east. 70 um, a few times, but 470 more often than not. You took a little, little bypass. There. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of depended upon if... 470 was getting torn up than 70 it was uh and it was always a little quicker because the speed limit was 70 miles an hour there versus uh, a lesser speed going through the city of wheeling exactly beautiful country oh absolutely uh, but you know i so i grew up in that area i went to school in morgantown um and uh, started my career working with kids who were severely disabled uh down in beckley west virginia which is all the way in the southern part of the state um then I was approached uh, by a few folks from a Catholic parish to consider uh, they were looking for a principal at a Catholic elementary school down in Beckley, West Virginia. So I met with the pastor, and he, uh, I guess, liked what he heard. I went back and got my master's degree in administration. Uh, at West Virginia? I got it at Marshall University okay. College of Graduate Studies, where I got my uh, education administration degree. We are Marshall. Uh, yes, that's exactly always, right. Always enjoyed that uh, movie, despite the fact that it's a very, very tragic story. I, I remember it fairly well, being a freshman on the campus of Notre Dame, and that hit, and we're just like completely stunned. And the realization is that could have happened to any football team. Yeah, I think that that's still uh, the scars are still in Huntington, West Virginia, from, oh, from that there, crash. There's no question. I've I've heard that uh, in a couple of things that I that I always heard uh, the uh, the coach there uh, Jack Langell went on to a very amazing career including being the athletic director at the Naval Academy who has a long relationship with uh, my alma mater the University of Notre Dame 
Um, but so, yeah, I was in Beckley, and then I moved to Southern Ohio, where I was a Catholic high school principal. Then I uh, was hired as an assistant superintendent for Catholic schools in the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston, which is the state of West Virginia. Was then uh, hired as, uh, when the superintendent left, I was hired as superintendent, and then secretary of education spent 16 years in the chancery for the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston. And then our bishop was retiring, and I thought it was time to kind of make a little move. So I went to the Diocese of Richmond, Virginia, where I was superintendent there. And um, have always been good friends with Mickey Lentz here from the diocese. We were both That's a good person together. to have a friendship with. Matter of fact, I was just talking to her today. Oh, cool. Um, but Mickey told me about this position uh, as the executive director of IMPEA. And I have to tell you, I was a little hesitant because... I uh, spent my life in Catholic schools and uh, always involved in faith-based education. And IMPEA, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but represents all kinds of schools. But I found out that IMPEA's culture is very Christian in nature. Um, And I have to tell you, it's been a blessing to be a part of the broader ecumenical uh, private school education arena, uh, working with Lutheran schools, Christian schools, Jewish schools, Islamic schools. Um, and, and just for me personally, that's that's been something that's been very eye-opening and uh, it's been a great blessing. I would have to totally agree with that. And, and indeed, you are blessed to be able to have that opportunity. And just uh, as one who has worked in multiple cultures in my radio life, uh, I've always found that I want to learn about the other cultures that I don't know that much about because hey, we're all members of the same race, the human race. That's exactly right. And I tell you, that's one of the blessings of the state of Indiana is that we have such a rich, diverse, non-public school culture where families have lots of different kinds of options, whether that be in faith traditions or whether that be uh, educational philosophies. Um, So, uh, you know, parents can really have a number of things in terms of being able to pick a school that they feel is the right fit for their son or daughter. So you had the conversations with uh, Mickey Lentz, and obviously the organization was well underway at that point in time. So you know, take us back to the beginning of that, and then when you came on board. Sure, IMPEA was uh, established back in 1974, and I always say it was through the visionary leadership of 12 non-public school leaders who came around a table and said, you know, there's some things we can do better together. As a, as a group than what we can do as an individual school or even a group of schools like a diocese or a Lutheran district. So that kind of birthed the organization back in 1974. At that point, they were being operated by a board. They didn't have staff. But today, we represent what we call 12 different jurisdictions. Uh, that means the five Catholic dioceses, two Lutheran school groups, two Christian school groups, the Seventh-day Adventist, Jewish day schools, and independent secular schools, as well as a number of schools that aren't really affiliated with any of those jurisdictions. Probably about 400 schools across the state from that beginning of 12 school leaders coming around the table. Uh, And I think school leaders still will affirm the idea that um, no matter what we do, whether it's looking at advancing education or working in the political arena, you know, it's much better to be a part of a a collaborative than it is to be uh, just uh, an individual school or, or all Catholic schools or all Lutheran schools. Oh, absolutely, because there's a lot to be learned by seeing best practices in all those schools, too. That's exactly right. And, and people will tell you, folks who serve on our board, they believe it's probably one of the best professional development opportunities they have because they get to learn from other schools where there's always common ground that we're dealing with the same things, but sometimes we go about it differently. And um, it's, so it's, it's been a great experience 
through that board to be able to be with people from other types of schools. So when you came on board, there was an executive director, so you were filling a position that did exist. You said it started with just a board running it, but then at a certain point they did Exactly. There was an a executive director. executive director, uh, Steve Noon, who a lot of people probably know here in the Indianapolis area. He was uh, part-time, but then Glenn Tebby was hired sure. as the first executive, full-time executive director. Glenn, as you know, went on to be the uh, executive director for the Indiana Catholic Conference and right. has since retired. Uh, but he was in the position for 10 years, and there was someone in the position for three years, a gentleman by the name of Derek Ruttleman, who came from the Indiana State Chamber okay. for the position. But I've now been in the position for 13 years, so I very much consider myself an adopted Hoosier. That's pretty good. And you live here in the city of Indianapolis? Or? I live up on the northeast side. I'm a St. Simon the Apostle parishioner up okay. there. Okay. Know it well that uh, before my son and wife moved to Fishers, that was their parish. Okay. But, uh, yeah, and, and, and a darn good one and a huge one, too. It is big. My wife and I, and I was superintendent when we lived in Virginia, but we decided we were going to live close to the Catholic school that our kids were going to be in. Um, and in Virginia, we were about 35 minutes away, always having to travel back and forth. But we, we can walk to St. Simon where we live now, so that oh. was our goal. Although the kids ended up going to Bishop Chatard, so we ended up driving 30 minutes anyhow <laughs> no, from high school I know, I know that routine. You know, with my kids, uh, I'm on the west side of town, so elementary school for them was St. Michael's at 30th and Tibbs by Cardinal Ritter. Well, you know, when one goes to cathedral, all three go to cathedral. So, uh, <laughs> you know, before they had driver's licenses, uh, it was uh, dad doing some of the morning driving and splitting it up with other parishes, uh, other parents. So, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, thank goodness Been for there carpools. and done it. Been there and done it, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely uh, a, good, a good thing. But, you know, the variety of stuff that is available, not just at the Catholic school, but the non-Catholic uh, schools as well, is, is a pretty good situation. But anyway, we're going to continue here on Indy's Trusted Servant with our special guest today, John Elsesser, who is the executive director of the Indiana Non-Public Education Association. And we'll take a, a quick break to say a special thank you to our home for the Indy's Trusted Servant Show, as well as the Indiana Nocturne Show that I co-host. Uh, that is the My Pet Carnivore Studios here in beautiful Fountain Square. Paul and Suzanne, who own the My Pet Carnivore, do an amazing job of distributing pet food, frozen pet food to dog and cat owners and any other pets, probably rabbits, ferrets, uh, I'm not sure what the heck else, but uh, it's good healthy stuff for pets and you can always find out more about that uh, by looking up My Pet Carnivore and they ship it out all over the country so if you're listening on the internet somewhere and so those might be for me, well then check it out, it's uh, something that is... Uh, pretty significant we thank them for the opportunity they did the studio build out for us here and yes if you're thinking it's a modern technical wonder here it's old school tiny little studio on the second floor of the building here with cd racks all over the place and some older equipment that works well but it's older equipment we get the job done, and that's what community radio is all about. So we're going to continue on here, John, uh, as we talk a little more about what you've put together. You said you have a board. How big a board is it, and who are the people that are part of your board? Well, we have about there's 16 members on the board. Twelve are what we call jurisdictional reps, so the five Catholic school superintendents. 
uh, serve on our board, the Lutheran superintendent. We have a Jewish rabbi representing the day schools, uh, the Jewish day schools. Uh, and then we have um, four at-large members, and those are basically people who bring a skill set that can help us carry out our, our mission at IMPEA, whether that be legal background or technology background, um, fund development background. So they kind of help us carry out the, the mission and, and the strategic plan that the organization Well, John, together. talk about your mission and explain to everybody. Uh, you just figure, oh, well, it's, it's pretty simple. Well, no, the, there are a lot of areas you're involved with, and I think listeners would like to hear about that. Sure. You know, from a mission perspective, we're really there to ensure both the quality and the viability of Indiana's non-public schools. And I say that we do that through the two arms of our organization. We have an advocacy side, um, and so I work with the General Assembly. I'm a part-time lobbyist. I work very closely with the Indiana uh, State Department of Education uh, on non-public school issues or if our schools have questions or problems. I serve as a liaison between the school and, and the Department of Ed. Work so very, that be with uh, Jennifer McCormick right now? With Dr. McCormick yes. now, right? Her term will be expiring here coming in June, but uh, I work some with Dr. McCormick. I've worked with her over the years, but I, I work predominantly with, I would say, middle management, people who deal with assessment and accountability and okay. uh, federal pro title programs, those things, because those are the ones that most directly touch our non-public schools. Um, so we have that advocacy side, but we also have a, a professional development and consultation side. We do conferences uh, for teachers, for administrators. Um, we typically have a what we call our impact conference, usually brings in about 2,000 folks to the Indianapolis Convention Center, uh, teachers, guidance counselors, principals, presidents. Uh, this year, unfortunately... It was, it was virtual, I'll bet, right? Uh, well, no, we postponed. We decided it didn't translate into a virtual model very well. So it was, matter of fact, scheduled for last Thursday and Friday. Oh. We postponed till next October, and we're basically carrying that program over to whatever degree we can. We had two dynamite keynote speakers in place. Um, so we do that, plus we do in the off-year an administrators conference just for administrators and do a lot of webinar training and online training on particular topics that are specific to Indiana uh, non-public schools. And you have to make that engaging because these days so many of us were on one Zoom thing after another. And if you don't have something that's captivating, People are, oh, i got to do another one of these. So I, I trust you figured out some ways to do that. We're working on that. We've got to put together our, what we call our PD virtual calendar. But you're right, there's a lot of Zoom fatigue out there. And I've been on as many as five different Zoom meetings, six different Zoom meetings in one day. Um, and where it's become a very valuable tool, and we wouldn't be able to uh, work our way through the pandemic without that tool, Zoom and other uh, uh, mediums like that. Um, but you do, you're right. You do get to a point where I'm tired. I want to be with people in person and hear and interact in a way that's not necessarily virtual. Hey, bring in Danny O'Malia. He'll keep it lively. He'll keep it entertaining and he'll keep uh, everybody involved captivated. Just a uh, cheap plug from uh, yours <laughs> truly here. You know, it's really, he, that's what he does and does very, very well. It's, you can uh, have him come speak to a group and all, oh, what's this all about customer service? Uh, and they, everybody walks out of that very, very energized, which is, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's those challenges we face now, right? That's exactly right. And, and, and you're right. They are challenges, especially until we work our way and hopefully get on the other side of this pandemic. So, anyway, let's talk about uh, the role that uh, 
the organization plays in the school choice programs and start out by defining what school choice is and there are a lot of misnomers of what it is and what it isn't. Yeah, you're right, Russ. Um, school choice is uh, something that Indiana has embraced probably since the early 2000s. Um, and, and basically what that means is allowing uh, families to find the schools that are the right fit for them, no matter what their zip code is and no matter what their financial situation is. And Indiana, that started with public school choice because it used to be your uh, school attendance area was dictated by your zip code. And a number of years ago, there was legislation that would allow people to transfer across uh, district boundaries. And then in early 2001, uh, the state passed charter school legislation, which was that's charter schools are public schools, but they don't necessarily uh, have to follow all of the regulations that a traditional public school. And that and, was when? Uh, 2001. Okay. Well, I remember going to some events in the 90s that were promoting this before it really happened, and they, they brought in some high-powered folks to uh, help lift it up. So uh, I'm some of it's escaping me at this point in But time. you're exactly right, Russ. It took a long time to get to that point. I, I came in 2008. Um, and we passed what we call scholarship tax credit legislation in 2009, and we passed choice scholarship voucher legislation in 2011. But I tell folks all the time, it took 10 years prior to that for the groundwork to be laid. Um, and pre my predecessor, Glenn Tebby, and a number of other folks in this area, you know, Mitch Daniels, uh, former governor, was very instrumental in, in the passage of a lot of that legislation. Um, and uh, then Superintendent Tony Bennett, all really rallied and said, you Oh, I know, remember he was a huge proponent of that. I still hear from him every once in a while because in the professional world, I knew him. Yes, he's a great guy. I'm Facebook friends with him. And, and um, you know, he, he brought that basketball coach mentality to try to move the education system forward. Um, and not, not without its detractors, but I happen to think yeah. it was a very good approach. You're, you're right. And Tony would probably say himself that his basketball approach sometimes backfired on him a little bit. Um, yeah, yes, that's you know, true. but I think his intent was how do we make education the best it can possibly be here in the state of Indiana? And the school choice program really was was born out of that. And I mentioned the tax credit program um, that was passed in 2009. And I always call that a private incentive or a public incentive for private giving. Excuse me. And people can make a donation to a scholarship organization and they can get a 50 percent state tax credit on that donation you know as you well know credit is a lot better than a, a deduction and so yeah. if you make a contribution of a thousand dollars to cathedral's sgo fund you can take five hundred dollars off of your state tax liability so explain the difference between that and a 529 uh, program which is i think designed more for parents grandparents or whatever to put something aside for their child or grandchild and you're right you know 529s are basically a savings account that has some tax advantage to it uh, originally 529s were only for college uh, students to attend college but legislation was passed uh, two or three years ago that allow you to set up a 529 for k-12 private school education as well um, that really advantages folks and from a tax perspective, but when we're really looking at school choice, where there are families who can't afford a choice, a 529 is not something necessarily that they would be able to take advantage of. Okay. Um, because, you know, they're not looking for a tax write-off. They probably don't have the excess 
uh, cash flow to be able to put money away in an account like that. And sure. that's where these programs like the tax credit and the Choice Scholarship Voucher Program, which is the one that most people uh, you know, are familiar with. We're going to continue with that and talk a little bit about what happens in the legislature and talk about the 10th anniversary of, of the program here when we continue after we talk a little bit about the home for Indy's trusted servant, My Pet Carnivore. It's our studios in Fountain Square, the home of My Pet Carnivore. Healthy dog and cat food for pet owners across the country with a strong footprint in the Midwest. Paul and Suzanne generously did the build out and helped us uh, put the studio space together on the second floor of their burgeoning building here. Uh, it was pretty empty five years ago when I was first up here and uh, now there's boxes and people working right outside the door of the studio right now. It shows you what a great organization they have and what a good job they're doing with uh, the healthy dog and cat food that is available out there. So again, I'm Russ Dodge filling in for Danny O'Malley. He will be returning on next week's Indies Trusted Servant Show. And we're into our final segment right now with John Elsesser, the Executive Director of Indiana Non-Public Education Association. And you've got something coming up that's uh, pretty cool, and it's probably better that it's next year than this year, but the 10th <laughs> anniversary of the Choice Scholarship Voucher Program. So tell us a little bit about that and what you tentatively have up your sleeves uh, for that. Well, I, and, and the tentative up sleeve has been a little bit uh, diverted because of COVID, but sure. you know, the legislation, as I alluded to, the, the scholarship, uh, Choice Scholarship Program, that's the voucher program, that was passed in 2011. So we're coming into 221, so this legislative session will be 10 years since that program um, you know, was originally passed. And I looked at the numbers right before I came, and I think within those 10 years, and there still would probably be some additional numbers, but about 275,000 students have benefited, have received a wow. scholarship under this program. That's really, really good. You know, last year alone, in only the voucher program, $167 million went to families to be able to choose the private school of their choice. Um, you know, as we look at celebrating this, one of the things that we're working on is finding the success stories out there. Uh, kids who were early in the program were able to choose that private school. Now they're either in the work world or they're in college, uh, in law school. Um, I have a young lady who's going to come in and do a, a video with me uh, who uh, is now at IU. Um, she is progressively going to be totally deaf, and she worked uh, with me to get legislation passed that allowed her to both attend Roncalli High School and the School for the Deaf. Um, and, you know, uh, and she was able to go to Roncalli because she was a voucher recipient. Uh, and there's lots of stories out there. There's a young lady, a Hispanic young lady, who went to Lafayette Central Catholic who uh, graduated from Purdue. Um, she was in the ROTC program there and is planning to attend law school uh, at IU uh, McKinney, and she wants to be a JAG in the, in the Air Force. So this is not cookie cutter, one size fits all. No. Which is it, great. Right, and, and that's the whole thing with choice. It's the antithesis of cookie cutter, that yeah. one system is the best or one school is going to meet the needs of all kids and some folks say well we want to get kids out of failing schools and we do but sometimes kids are in a school that may be 
exemplary, but for whatever reason, it's they not fall the through right the cracks. fit for them. Yeah. And so they're not, they're not engaging. They're not being successful. They go to a new school. The light bulb goes on, and all of a sudden, they're blossoming, and they have a future. Um, I've heard kids tell stories that they never even considered going to college, but now they're in this new school, and that's a part of the culture there. And now they have a game plan. They know what they, where they want to go. They're working on the college classes, preparation classes they have to take to get there. Um, so it's really exciting to see how these programs have impacted the lives of families. And we're hoping to celebrate that in 2021 by telling a lot of these stories of how, how it's impacted and families. I particularly lives. like that one, you know, as one who was a transplant to Indiana when I came to Notre Dame, I didn't realize till I was in the workplace in the 70s just how few students that graduated from high school went on to college in Indiana. It was just compared to my old stomping grounds in New Jersey, it was a very, very low number. And you got into some of the smaller towns, and there was just a general belief that that's not what you did. Right. You went back and worked on the farm, you worked in the factory, or whenever, hey, it was good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me. You know, and that's one of the, one of the real gifts of, of non-public school education, especially our faith-based schools, but really all non-pubs, is how rooted the culture of those schools are. So when students come in, they kind of get immersed in that culture, and it can turn kids around. Um, I had a young man in the high school where I was principal whose father was in prison, and this young man could have followed, followed suit with his dad, you know, if he was in the wrong place. And he went on to college, played football, um, because he got to be around in an environment where it was rooted in values, and he was surrounded by teachers who, who believed in those values and believed in every student's potential to be the very best they could be. Well, that's great. But, you know, moving forward, obviously you have to have that top-of-the-mind awareness in the legislature, and you mentioned you are officially a part-time lobbyist in addition to being the executive director. Uh, what do you actually do with the legislature, and what changes, if any, do you expect to see in the uh, new legislature. Well, that's having, there's obviously a change in Speaker of the House, but right. that's about it, I think. That's a million-dollar question. You know, I, People always ask me to pull out my crystal ball and what do I see happening in the future. And um, In Indiana, from the, an election perspective, there wasn't much change. As a matter of fact, uh, we currently have uh, supermajorities in both, Republican supermajorities in both the House and the Senate, and both of those, I think, they maybe lost one seat in the Senate, but they increased the number of seats in the House. Um, the governor maintained, you know, his, his uh, the governorship. So from an Indiana perspective, I don't know that I see any significant change. You alluded to uh, Todd Houston as the new Speaker of the House after a long tenure with Brian Bosma. Both of those gentlemen have been very supportive of school choice and non-public schools. Uh, Speaker Bo or Speaker Houston used to work in the Department Ed. He was the chief of staff for Tony Bennett uh, when Tony was in the department. So, I did not know that. That's uh, that's a pretty good indication of where things might be headed. Yeah, so we're, we feel pretty good. Now, when we go into a legislative session, our top priority always is to protect and defend. Um, we want to protect the programs that we have available to our our. Uh, kids, our students, our schools, and make sure that someone out there doesn't try to either take those programs away or do something that would negatively impact them. And I can tell you every year, I always tell our folks the battle's never over because every year someone's trying to shoot holes or find problems or throw dirt on, on these uh, programs that benefit non-public schools. Um, 
but we at IMPEA believe we want, you know, we definitely have a strong commitment to our non-public schools, but we want quality in all sectors. We want the best public schools we can have. We want the best charter schools we can have. And we want the best non-public schools because that's what's good for Indiana. And I think sometimes when some of the legislators realize that, they're a lot more supportive of what your mission actually is. That's right. It shouldn't be about school sector. It should be about all kids being successful so that they can contribute to the state uh, in the long term. And that's that's what we're about, wanting to make sure that all kids have that opportunity to be successful. Which is a really good thing. So I wanted to ask specifically about people wanting more information or to engage with the organization. What are the best ways to go about that? Uh, the best ways, first of all, is to probably check out our website, which is at www.inpea.org. Um, you can reach out by email to myself or Heidi Gant in our office, who's our communications director. Uh, we had started an organization called Friends of INPEA, where folks who really believe in our mission and our mission to support the non-public schools in the state and to be a resource, uh, you can come on as a as a uh, as a partner to INPEA, whether you be a business or whether you be just as an individual. Oh, that's really neat. It has a business uh, ramification as well as an individual one. It does. And that people could really uh, pick up the opportunities there so uh, yeah with our business partners we tell them we're looking for a win-win-win we want the business to benefit we want our members to benefit and impea members fit benefits from them being one of our partners and again more information about that on your website correct that's correct so yeah we're winding down here on this show so uh, john l Sesser, uh the executive director of indiana non-public education association i want to thank you very much for jumping in here and having some flexibility on the recording with uh Danny having to be out for this one, and uh, I'm happy to jump on in. And you know, it's not, it's nice when I can come in and uh, be interviewing someone that I've heard speak before, and I don't feel like, oh, gee, I'm just guessing at this. But anyway, Danny will be back on the next show. So, John, I want to thank you so much for being here. Russ, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciated the opportunity to meet you at the Catholic Business Exchange as well. Appreciate the work that you're doing. And we appreciate uh, the opportunity for you being with us here on Indy's Trusted Servant on WITT.